Monica Melpass, Philadelphia's mayor, proposes raising property taxes 6% and the shockwaves are immediate. Let's get the inside story. Good morning. Welcome to Inside Story. I'm Monica Melpass and let's meet our insiders this week. They are AJ Raju, attorney. Welcome back. Good, morning, Good to have you again, sir. Ed Trzanski, foreign policy analyst. Always Good nice morning. to see you, Ed. David Dix, governmental affairs. Good, Good morning to you, sir. Thank you for joining us. And we welcome a new panelist, Liz Priate-Havey. She's attorney and GOP party chair. And welcome. We're so glad to have you as yes, well, Liz. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk about Mayor Kenny's proposal. Uh, Literally, city council had an immediate reaction, so did uh, pretty much everybody who was listening in a good way or a bad, but his idea was raise uh, taxes, possibly property taxes, 6% to dig out the $1 billion school deficit that the school remains in, school system. And so, of course, that's important for our children and the schools, but almost everybody else said, wait a minute. And what was your immediate reaction? It seems like another tax on the poor. I mean, we, we live in the largest poorest big city in America and to levy a tax on real estate on an already you know squeezed population uh, on taxes I think it was it was the wrong move I heard a lot of members of council kind of speak out pretty fervently against it uh, as soon as the budget address was over and you know given the fact that we've now had a cigarette tax a soda tax and now a real estate uh, a tax all coupled with AVI not just a couple years ago I think it's really burdensome on the poor people it'll be the fifth property tax increase in nine years if it passes so what was your reaction AJ well, I mean, it's not just the real estate tax. You also have the realty transfer tax will That's go right. up to 4.35 already. The highest in the country will go up to 4.35. The uh, reduction of the wage taxes will be slowed down. That will generate around 400 or so uh, million in the over the next five years. Look, if you're going to make a commitment to fix schools and it requires money, then you have to find the money from somewhere. And the somewhere is not just the poor, but the real estate owners, but is also 75% of it are the businesses and corporations that pay, uh, pay taxes. The, the problem is, with all of that is, uh, I understand we have to pay the bill. We're not collecting delinquent taxes right now from right. folks who are, so this is a sucker tax by the corporations and the poor folks who are actually paying, but what about those who are not currently paying? What about making government more efficient? Net-net, this government is supposed to grow by four to 5%. I think we need to tighten the belt starting with the government first, find efficiency, find job-creating policies that attract folks into the city. And that's not a long-range fix. So it, the school well, no, the long range, we've been talking about for the past 20 years. Long-range can be now so that we start having immediate impact soon. Because to their credit, the schools say they've cut everything they can possibly cut. Next time they're going to have to cut, it's going to be into the bone, right? It's going to impact the 202,000 students in a negative way, more so than it even has. Liz, where are you at on this? Well, I don't believe that. I think that until you have meaningful reform, if you seek efficiencies, you look at the sort of the schools are put into silos, like this union here, this union here, this union here, people don't work together. And until you actually do that and you look, you start kind of from scratch and put the kids first, I, I don't think any taxes, any, any more money that they throw at the schools are really going to fix the problems. The schools are going to have all the same inherent problems that they have now. And the likelihood this is going anywhere, I mean, uh, Daryl Clark says this is aggressive, it will hurt the poor, as David mentioned. Yes, I think aggressive is code language for we're not interested. And it may happen in some form. I think AJ's right about the non-collection of taxes. Alan Dom, city councilman, mm -hmm. has been very outspoken mm -hmm. on that mm -hmm. point. It's much more likely that they will try to do something about the 10-year tax abatement 
rather than punish not just the old, the um, the poor, but the elderly, That's right. uh, people who are on fixed incomes, who are homeowners, who have paid time and time again. Right. But back to the point about the schools, it's frustrating that in every other walk of life, we look for innovation. You hear this word disruptor. We're going to change the model. We're going to find a different way to do things. And in all of that, choice is embedded within the disruption, within the implementation of new technologies, except for education. You're not seeing enough disruption there? No, we, we, it's, it's the same, same system. You do the same thing over and over again. After a while, you're providing a new illustration of Einstein's definition of insanity. You do the same thing over and over again. With the same outcome. Think you're going to get a different right. outcome and you right. don't. But disruption has kind of been the norm with the Philadelphia School District. We had an elected school board. Now we, then we, for 17 years, we had an SRC. Now we're saying we're going to scrap the SRC and go back but to not a that's school a change. board. That's go a governance to, issue. That's, that's not a That's a governance issue, issue, but that volatility has not allowed for the type of stability that a school district but, the know, size can, of Philadelphia can, can, needs. Can we make a, a long-term macro point? We tout this region for eds and meds and arts and culture. Things that were built around 200 years ago, not of our doing. Most of it, when you look at eds and meds, they're really an export business. People that graduate from Wharton, the best and the brightest, leave, they don't really come here. That's the Cuban cigar. The rest of us are Cuba. We're still driving the 1950s car. That's West Philly, that's North Philly, et cetera. The reason why we're still the same Cuba and then the Cuban cigar is the export is because we have the same policy again and again. Every four years, we have amnesia, mm -hmm. and we get sold a promise, and then four years later, we forget, and then four years later, another new promise, and we just keep kicking the can down the road. So you have to have a long-term uh, policy discussion about how do we become more attractive. By being the most taxed city is not the most attractive way to attract companies. To, to let the greatest talent coming out of Wharton and Jefferson and Penn Medicine and others drain, leave right? is not the way to go. We are right now just reshuffling the decks on a Titanic. That's not the policy that we ought to be proud of. By the way, with Amazon looking as at, at cities where they're going to put their headquarters, if they hear this budget address and they hear that litany of taxes, they have to wonder what's well, going you have to happen. To, well, well, I, I, do, I do applaud Mayor Kenny for taking on the big, big, uh, big problem and saying, put it on my back, I'll, I'll be held accountable. That part I actually admire. And, and taking I, it away I, I do from see, all the citizens of the rest of Pennsylvania who have been griping that their tax dollars are going, you know, from Scranton and out west are going to pay for the Philadelphia schools. Pe those state representatives and state senators have heard people complain for years right. about that. So I, I that agree That it's just a bottomless pit, yeah. in right. their opinion. Exactly. I'm so I applaud the mayor for taking this on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that a mayor that's been so politically adept throughout his, his years as mayor and on council didn't count to nine on this one. To have a, a budget address that was so, uh, so drastic and not have gotten the support on council or even among the uh, city controller was a little thing. But they we knew this was going to happen yeah. because mm -hmm. the moment we said we're going to put full control of the schools back in the hands of a locally uh, uh, provided school board. Sure. Yeah. You have to pay the bill. Yeah, right. he's responsible. So it's, this is the tyranny of mathematics that's coming in. And the question is, can you grow your way? Can you grow the economy so that you get more revenue? Yeah. Or do you keep on taxing what you have left? And the taxation of what is left over means you're going to have less and less of it because smart people do not go in places 
where they're going to be dinged with taxes every couple years. And well, speaking of taxes, poor the people don't have the leverages this to up move. To up so they're stuck with, the, with this burdensome tax bill, mm -hmm. and I think that's one, that's something that we have to keep in mind in the largest poor city in the more. Speaking of mm -hmm. uh, taxes, the soda tax has not produced exactly what was projected. I mean, it's close, eighty-five right. percent of what was the first projective. Uh, Revenues coming into the budget, but 1.7 percent is what it's providing to the seven billion, a uh, 47 billion dollar budget, or 4.7 billion, and so they have lowered their expectations for next year, meaning fewer seats in pre-K, not the universal pre-K that had been hoped, fewer new schools, that kind of thing. So that's another ding, if you will, because if one area is not bringing in the revenue you hoped, you're going to have to make it up there again. And I think it's an efficiency thing. To AJ's earlier point. We can't put a burden like this on poor people unless we're doing everything we can to modernize our efficiencies as a city. When we have a boondoggle of $50 million on the what was to be the police uh, the police uh, uh, center, and now we've said, oh, now we're going to move it to the to the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer building. That's $50 million of taxpayers' dollars right. that are unaccounted for, that aren't added to the school district or somewhere else that could really use that money. What about, was the soda tax worth the fight? I believe the fight's still ongoing with the beverage industry. I don't think the soda tax has been worth the fight. And I think, I think it's a regressive tax. I think it does disproportionately affect the poor. I also feel that there's a negative effect, which is about 1,200 jobs have been lost Absolutely. in Philadelphia. And these jobs are in supermarkets and in places where you know, the poor needed those jobs. Food deserts. Exactly. We talk about food deserts. And if you know that somebody in the supermarket business is operating on a 1.5% to 2% margin, and then you hit them, and it's not a soda tax, it is a beverage yeah. tax. Right. It is wide-ranging. Iced tea, And if you have the juice. misfortune of having a store close to the city border, you have seen your customers migrate sure. across the border because that 99 cent bottle of soda that winds up costing $3 is a budget bust. It adds sure. up. That's for sure. All right, speaking of the schools, we do have the new school board coming yeah. into play. Uh, 27 people have been given to uh, by the nominating panel to the mayor to review, and he gets to pick the last down to nine. In the end, they will be starting in the springtime. Uh, any sort of uh, notations that you want to say see going forward? Anybody on there that concerns you, anybody you like? Well, I think every constituency should be represented, and I know that the mayor is not a fan of charter schools, but 30% of the students in Philadelphia are in charter schools, so I think it behooves him to make sure that there are people on that board that represent the charter schools and the charter school interests. Not sure that's going to happen, but he, sh he should do it. They are managing a $3 billion budget with the yeah. 202,000 students. Know, it's a huge enterprise. To go back to uh, Ed's earlier point about disruptive innovation in schools, when you look at mainline schools or private schools or uh, academically gifted schools, kids go home at night, look at Khan Academy, which is free, any kid can get it, poor sure. or rich. They do the lectures at home, and then when they come to classroom, it's actually homework time and they're pure learning. When you go to typical public schools, it's exactly the opposite as we have been doing for the past 100 years. That means they're still using the rotary phone, not the iPhone, right. in public mm -hmm. schools, and we're wondering why the results are different. Disruptive innovation doesn't just mean you put chemo on a body killing both cancer and good cells. It's being smart about Smarter what the latest innovation is and to cure from, from, uh, from the root of it. We need to change the way we teach, period, and how we look at education as a national, not just local issue. Changing from SRC to local governance 
doesn't solve it by itself. It really has to have a complete overhaul of our mindset on how we teach our kids. And AJ, there are innovations going on in Philadelphia. I don't know if anybody knows about Belmont Charter School Network. It's a school started by Michael Carp. It's a school system. It has a catchment school. It has charter schools. But the whole, the whole gist of it is it's not just about educating kids. It's about breaking poverty, right. breaking poverty in the neighborhood. Yeah. And the Philadelphia school system should be looking at uh, networks like that and saying what is it that they are doing that is helping these these children who had no hope before who are now having jobs and, and that includes the, the archdiocesan system yeah. which has been an outstanding performer for decades in this town continues to serve large segments of the population across all income levels and the idea that they're not embraced as a partner but instead treated as a competitor it just means we wind up spending more money to get less favorable results. And they are they are not treated as partners. They, no. They're roadblocks put in front of these people Absolutely. who are trying to do good in these poor communities. And that should stop. All right, Philadelphia's newest district attorney, uh, Larry Krasner, has decided to drop cash bail as he promised one of his campaign planks. And uh, that is helping some people who obviously can't pay the money to get out of jail for small crimes anyway, uh, allegations of small crimes. Do you think in the end that uh, this was the right move? He did say that that's going to be one of his main ideas coming in. Monica, it's going to depend on what happens to quality of life in communities that are affected by crime. And we're going to need some time just to see how all this plays out. The critics suggest, and I think with some validity, that this will not work out well. But again, he won the election. He promised to do this. But our jails are overcrowded. No, but we can't lock everybody up just the because idea of a that small... someone would sit in jail simply because they don't have money is, is, is erroneous. And anyone who has had to have the experience of being charged with a crime and sitting in jail and being in jail only for the mere fact that you cannot pay the bail would, would feel, would feel I, I, validated I, 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 by, I, I, by I actually, uh, the district attorney's I, move. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, let me uh, look. Uh, will there be consequences? Sure. Maybe for others. but cash bail criminalizes poverty and when you are when you cannot pay as David just mentioned cash bail when I can pay but they cannot pay there are unintended consequences from that too now you're away from the family you can't uh, take care of the family your job is not disrupted when you're desperate at that moment you double down on more desperate things it only leads to more problems you have to have a fair system. The presumption of innocence and due process are both things that everybody's entitled to. It's not just for the rich, but it should be an even-handed system, not, uh, not, not a system that criminalizes poverty. And I agree wholeheartedly with that comment. And when the district attorney's role is to apply justice more fairly, I think this is a step in the right direction. Any but there thoughts? will be consequences, for sure. You can't have everything perfectly all at the same moment. So do you think this is a step in the right direction, Liz? I'm not sure. Um, I certainly am concerned about the fact that uh, this is this does hurt the poor, that they don't have the ability to pay for the bail. But um, I am concerned that certain people will be let out that shouldn't be let out, and that probably will happen. And then that you know, but we have to wait and see. We shall. All see. right, we're going to take a break. Inside Story continues right after this. Stick around. That's right. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back. Pennsylvania Congressman Pat Meehan is not running for re-election in the Delaware County area, but numerous people are coming in to put their names in the hat. Uh, do you think there's a front runner who's emerging, somebody that you like? 
not who I like particularly, but there has to be a front runner, the man with the most cash. Rich Laser seems to have uh, monopolized this, particularly that congressional district in terms of the cash. Uh, I've heard rumors of 3.5 in an independent expenditure with 1.5 on the campaign side. That dramatically outdistances them from any of the competition, particularly if there's 10, 11, 12, 14 candidates. Mm -hmm. And now with the more Democratic leaning uh, demographics there because of gerrymandering changing up the map, there will be a change, don't you think? I, uh, I agree. I mean, I think he summed up the, the analysis as succinctly as he could. But I, I agree. The person with the money wins in elections because uh, uh, you have more name recognition because you can spend more on ads. And it's going to be a sprint between now and, what is it, three months? Right. Sprint. Yeah. You can't raise more money if you already it have a $4 million war chest. But the unfortunate thing is now that the that the, the district has been redefined, it's not a competitive district anymore. So the race now is only between Democrats. And it really should be, I, I think that the district was better served before when you had a real race. You may disagree, but I, I, you know, there was a race between a Republican and a Democrat before. So now it's just an internal race, and it's it's the the kind of the gerrymandering and the ju judicial mandering that the Supreme Court did has now changed that to being a plus 13, which means it's virtually unwinnable by a Republican. Yeah, but I still, which is unfortunate. I still love to see a Republican get in that race. When you have a new district, you have an opportunity to True. introduce yourself to, to the constituents, and everybody is new for this district. All right, let's talk about gun control. And Senator Pat Toomey had a bipartisan gun bill that he's proposing, although he did take some heat, uh, even in an off-the-cuff way, from President Trump. And let's listen to what the president had to say in a meeting with uh, Senator Toomey. We, you don't we, didn't, we didn't address it, Mr. President. Look, I think you know we, why? Because you're afraid of the NRA, right? <laughs> that comment came because there was a similar uh, bit of gun legislation that was proposed in 2012 uh, with Senator Toomey and it did not pass. It did not also include lowering or raising the gun um, ability to buy guns from 18 to 21 at the <coughs> time and now they're trying for that. What did you make of it? Yes, no good deed goes unpunished. So Pat Toomey tried once, he wants to try again and the president was playing to the cameras. He's got this tendency to be snarky off the cuff and then circled back and to say, hey, by the way, we're, we're fine, right? I, I didn't mean it, or I didn't mean to imply whatever I said clearly. Uh, listen, Pat Toomey sincerely tried with Joe Manchin. Manchin. He tried sincerely. They, they did not succeed once. He'll try again. But it was sincere, and it would have been impactful in some way. The problem is, Monica, we are stuck at zero-sum games, where we're either going to wind up arguing for the confiscation of not just a class of weapons, but even more than, than people think, or on the other hand, we just keep on not no, doing no, anything. I, I disagree. I, 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 it's not a zero-sum game. We're not it asking, has been. We're, we're not asking for the guns to be removed, the Second Amendment to be reversed. We're just talking about common sense gun legislation. We're not taking the cars away. People can still drive, but you still have to go get li get a license. You have to make sure you have insurance, and, and you're your responsible if you kill somebody with your car. Get your car inspected. Some common sense gun uh, gun measure. If we can't get that, that's not a zero sum one or the other. It's right in the middle. We need to treat guns like we treat our cars. And for the record, but Senator Toomey says point, he has not received money from the NRA since 2010, so he's not afraid of any you know, pushback sorry, from you the... Had, you had to come back. 
He may not be, but I think, as, as is often the case with President Trump, when he speaks off, off the flip, um, he's oftentimes very accurate. And there are any number of senators and members of Congress who are deathly afraid of the NRA yes. and their impact in their, in their districts and will not, under any circumstances, even with the most reasonable policies, uh, go against what the NRA has asked them to do. I mean, this issue, and I've actually been able to address this issue to, to President Trump, this issue of gun violence should be raised to the public health crisis it deserves to be. And we're not just talking about when crazy people go into schools and shoot them up. We're talking about the hundreds of people who are shot dead in these streets of Philadelphia every single year without really a systemic, uh, a systemic policy to address those issues. Monica, I think that Senator Toomey really should be applauded here. Yep. The fact that he is doing this in a bipartisan effort with another Democratic senator is something that we just have not seen in a long time. And after that remark by President Trump, there was a story that was written this morning that said President Trump called Pat Toomey to say, I support your bill. Um, and, and Senator Toomey has always looked at getting things done by saying, if there's this, is this is all we agree on, then get it done. Right. Don't throw in a whole that's bunch of point. stuff into a bill that's going to make it fail. Let's just agree on this. And I think Democrats and Republicans do agree with his bill. So I'm, I'm optimistic. We'll I think the, the American thing. public Common all sense. agrees we are. that too many Common people sense. are dying at the hands of guns and that we need to do something about it. And I haven't seen Congress, even in a bipartisan way, do something to the level that it needs to be By addressed. By the way, the failures of the Broward County Sheriff's Office in this. Mm -hmm. The FBI failed, Broward County failed, the school story. failed, Absolutely. And, and instead all of the attention is on access to guns for people who acquire them legally. You have, to AJ's point, you have to do both. All right, we're going to bring up a quick last topic. The opioid crisis, of course, is onerous throughout the country. Camden County has filed a lawsuit against Big Pharma. We have time for one comment. What do you make of it? Is this the beginning of something big? I think so. Look, I think we all know somebody, either a family member or a neighbor or somebody you know who is suffering from opioid addiction. It is no longer just a side drug issue. Grandmothers to all races, everybody has it. Somebody's responsible. We're the most drugged country in the world. Pharma companies, doctors, we're all responsible for this. And I think now, finally, we're waking up to a, a, probably the largest drug epidemic our history in, in, in our history. All right, we're going to have Inside Stories of the Week. Take a break and be right back. Stick around. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Time for Inside Stories of the Week, and let's start with David. Yeah, with uh, Congressman Brady pulling the West Philly walk away and giving up his district to uh, any number of districts in, through, the, through the redistricting, um, we have a number of candidates who are now challenging incumbents. Notwithstanding the 5th district where you have Richie Laser, we've already discussed, but in the 2nd you now have a uh, Kevin Johnson challenging Dwight Evans. Uh, I think it's going to be a challenge for him. Dwight Evans has 40 years of incumbency, whether it's at the State House or now as a congressman. So like, you really want to have, have yourself prepared before you take on a challenger like that. Also, Brendan Boyle now has 40% more African Americans in this district, so I would expect a lot of challenges to get in that race as well. All right, Ed. Monica Admiral Mike Rogers, the chair or the head of the National Security Agency, was asked by Congress, why don't we hit the Russians back for all of the cyber misbehavior? His answer was telling. We might want to hit back, but we have to be careful about retaliation. Putin would take things very hard, very fast. We don't know what the net effect would be on all of our lives if the Russians were to do that. All right, AJ. A postscript to David's uh, inside story. One of the challenges to Brendan Boyle will be uh, uh, Bill Green, a former city council member, as well as the chair of the school reform uh, council, a fighter. And my understanding is that I think he will be the endorsed party candidate, mm. not the sitting incumbent, which is Brendan Boyle. Interesting. All right, Liz. 
Well, this week in a lawsuit, uh, um, Al Schmidt, who's the city commissioner in Philadelphia, revealed that he found 100,000 non-U.S. citizens on Pennsylvania's voter registration rolls. That's unacceptable, and that can sway an entire election. If you look at Donald Trump, who won by 44,000 votes, 100,000 people who are on the voter rolls who are not supposed to be should be taken seriously by this governor, and, and I hope that he really does look at it and he cleans up the rolls. All right, thank you for your inside stories, and thanks so much to you for watching. Hope you have a great week ahead, and we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning.